Mark's gospel records only four parables, only four teachings of Jesus. And uh, they're all about seeds, even the fourth one. Somebody said to me last week, I'm really going to be interested to see how you take the fourth parable because it never mentions seed anywhere in that. But yet you said they're all about seeds. And it's because they are. And I hope that you'll be here in uh, two weeks from this weekend as I show you how that is all about seed. And it's all there in the passage. You just have to dig a little deeper and, and to kind of get that. And so it's very interesting to me. And we kind of began this last week. And, and, and so just to kind of recap, the seed is the word of God. And we know according to John chapter 1 that the word was made flesh and his name is Jesus. So the seed is the word of God. It's Jesus. The sower are Christ followers. People like you, people like me who are followers of Jesus Christ. We know that there, the soil... There's four different types of soil, uh, according to the, to the parable of the sower that we talked about last weekend. There's shallow soil, there's thorny soil, there's stony soil, and there's fertile soil. And you cannot control the soil. You cannot control the seed you're going to find today. All you can control is yourself as the sower. And so today, this, this particular parable about seed found in Mark's Gospel, chapter 4, verse 26 through 29... It instructs us that our faithfulness to God is directly tied to the fruitfulness of God in our lives. This is the only place, so the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the, called the Gospels. They're the four, basically, biographical sketches of the life and the teaching, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Mark is the only one that records this parable. It's not found in the other three. The only one that's recorded here. And it's different than the sower, which is the parable of the sower that we talked about last week. Because today it's about the seed, the parable of the seed. The sower in the parable of the seed plays a very minimal role. The seed grows without the sower's effort. And the way in which that seed grows is very much a, a mystery. And this is really how the gospel message works. That we have a part in it, but yet there's this divine mystery, there's this divine sovereignty that when we partner with God, when we do things God's way, he begins to do things in our life that only he can do. And so I, I want to get into this right now. Mark's Gospel, chapter 4, verse 26. Jesus said also, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters or sows seed on the ground night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. Verse 28. All by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. And as soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. Now, I want to give you just, just three observations from this today, but, but I want to make a statement that kind of uh, prefaces a bit of this. He uses the phrase, the kingdom of God. When you see that in Scripture, the kingdom of God, it's not talking about a physical kingdom. We do understand that heaven and earth will pass away. And God will establish a new heaven and a new earth. So in a physical way, that will be the kingdom of God that will, will come. That's after the rapture of the church and, and the end of the world and all that kind of stuff, right? But the kingdom of God is not a physical building. It's not a church. It's not a structure. It's not like the magical kingdom in Disney, right? You understand there's no castle here, right? Because we use, there's phrase and terminology that's used in the New Testament that can sound somewhat mystical or, or uh, like a fantasy or like some kind of medieval uh, Game of Thrones, kind of Knights of the Round Table, kind of a type of a, of a deal. It's not that. Kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, Jesus will refer to this multiple times. It's the way 
of God. It's the way of following Jesus. It's, it's, it's how we are to act, how are we are to respond, what are we are to do with our lives as followers of Jesus Christ, what that looks like, kind of our code of conduct, kind of our, our value, our culture, the, the way in which we do this. Now, he's speaking here, Jesus is in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All this is set in the context of the first century Jerusalem. These are predominantly, these are all Jews that he's speaking to. Very few Gentiles are in the mix. Actually, the gospel doesn't really completely go to the Gentiles until Acts chapter 6, I believe it is, uh, or 9. I can't, I'm transposing my mind real quick. But it's when Peter goes to the house of Cornelius, who's an Italian, and he comes in and, uh, and they take the gospel there. And because God's, brought, God's told them that the gospel will go into all the world. And, and so it's part of the fulfillment of what Jesus will say in the Great Commission to go into all the world and preach and teach the gospel. So in first century Jerusalem, Judaism is, is, is the, is the um, it's, it's a religion that everybody follows. And so every Jew, even to today, understands that what we would call the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Old Testament... It's basically written, the Torah, if you would, for, for Jews. It's written in a way in which it's how man is to live in right relationship with each other and with God. If you will follow this code of conduct, if you will follow what's called the Levitical law, which is found in, in the book of Leviticus in, in the Old Testament, the Levitical law, it's a covenant of how man lives in right relationship with God and with each other. And the Jews believe and believed in this context that if they would just simply follow that way, follow that way of the kingdom, follow that kingdom of heaven, follow that kingdom of God, that they would indeed be in right relationship with one another, right relationship with God. It was the best way to live on this planet in the here and now in the sweet by and by. So when Jesus comes in, we understand that Jesus comes not to do away with the law, the Torah, the Old Testament, the first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, but he comes to fulfill them. So by following Jesus, you fulfill the Torah, you fulfill the Old Testament, you fulfill the first five books of the Old Testament. And so following Jesus becomes known as this way of the kingdom, or the kingdom of God, or the kingdom of heaven. All those three expressions all mean the same thing. It's what it means. It's the code of conduct. The, the value system in following Jesus. So don't get all wigged out about, is he talking about a physical kingdom? Is this like the magic kingdom? Is Mickey and Minnie going to be there? You know, Snow White somewhere? I mean, is this some castle? Is this some, because again, we don't talk in terminologies like that. I don't get up here and go, you know, the kingdom of life church. You would think, uh, he thinks he's a king. Let's get our stuff and get out of here, right? This guy is smoking some crack. Let's just get out of the building. So when you read it in scripture, sometimes we just kind of go buy it. And if you've been in church very long, you kind of go, oh, yeah, of course that's what that is. But the reality is, is a lot of people just don't know. And so I want you to understand. So he says the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is like, and he goes into this parable of the seed. And the first thing I want you to notice is, is that he says that I, you, as a Christ follower, the sower, the, the person who scatters the seed, is to be faithful. I am faithful. Verse 26, I am to be faithful. As a follower of Jesus Christ, as a sower of the seed, I am to be faithful. That's my job. Look at verse 26. He said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. That's what you do. It's a declarative statement. You sow the seed. That's your job. You sow the seed. That's your responsibility. You sow the seed. That's your calling. How are you doing with that? How's that working for you? You see, I think many times we, we think that my job is to be fruitful. My job is to, is to control the harvest. My job is to, is to make sure that this happens and that happens. My job is to do, no, 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 no. God never called you to that. Sometimes the reason why we deal with anxieties and stress and pressures is because we're doing things we were never called to do. We are operating in, in ways in which our operational system was never intended or, desired or designed by God to do. 
So the reality is, is I'm not called to be fruitful. I'm not called to, to pastor 10,000 people. I'm not called to reach everybody for Christ. I, I can't control all of that. All I can do is tell people about Jesus. Now, I'm, I'm called to tell everybody about Jesus. I'm called to tell 10,000 people about Jesus. I'm called to tell everybody I come in contact. That's the way of the kingdom. The way of the kingdom is that I live a life that's right before God and right before man, that I love the Lord my God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. I love my neighbors myself. And if I do that in doing so, I fulfill the law. Isn't that interesting? That's the way Jesus did it. That's the way of the kingdom. But that's my responsibility is to love God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength, love my neighbors myself. Not to be perfect. Faithfulness is not about perfection. I love what the Bible says. Though a, right, a righteous man, though he falls seven times, he gets back up. You know the difference between righteous people and unrighteous people? Unrighteous people wallow in their unrighteousness. Righteous people say, I may be defeated today, but don't gloat over me, my enemy, for though I have fallen, yet I will arise. From these ashes, this phoenix will come up. From this turmoil, from this defeat, from this imperfection, I'm going to come up. Why? Because greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. See, God never called you and I to be perfect. He, that's why he gave us grace. You ever thought about that? If you didn't need grace, why would Jesus go to the cross and die on the cross for something you don't need? No, you need grace. So use it. Don't waste it. Use it. Don't act like you don't have problems. Own your own mess. Own your own stuff. Use it. God never called you to perfection. God never called you to ascent to a particular pinnacle or, 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 or whatever. That, that's you. And then there's nothing wrong with aspiration. There's nothing wrong with ambition. But understand... God just calls us to be faithful. Faithful. What does that look like? Faithful. I think sometimes people kind of go like, I just go, you know, we're given time, we're given talent, we're given treasure. See, this is why I know how to do it. Those are things that I can control in my life. I got so much time, and time is equal among everybody. What am I doing with my time? Where am I spending my time? Where am I investing my time? Some of you are coming to these retirement years, and, and you've got more time. What are you doing with that? My mother, she, she's funny because she's in that retirement mode. And my mother's like the queen of Facebook. I mean, she is on Facebook all the time. She's watching this. Hey, Mom. She's on Facebook. So I'm watching what I'm saying. And so anyhow, Mom, that's Kevin Nash that's laughing right there. I'm just, I'm just letting you know that. So she's on Facebook. And my mother, she watches everything on Facebook. She posts everything on Facebook. Everything's about something. And I'll call and say, Mom, how are things going? It's good. I already told. I, I, and she'll, she'll start telling me about stuff that's happening. She said, but I put it all on Facebook. Oh, Mom, I don't look at Facebook. She goes, but you have posts on Facebook. Yeah, because I have a Twitter account, and my Twitter account sends it to my Facebook account. I also have an Instagram account. I know how to even use Instagram. I'm just not that complex. I mean, I was sitting on the airplane with my 15-year-old, and she's like, Dad, you need an Instagram account. I said, Insta what? She said, an Instagram account. I said, I have a Twitter account. She goes, no, 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 Twitter is dead, Dad. Twitter is dead. You need Instagram. Instagram. So I said, okay, well, I handed her my phone. Well, next thing I know, when I landed, man, I had like 500 followers. I was like, wow, that's awesome. How does this work? And she said, Dad, I can help you. <laughs> I, I, and of course, everything's about money. Like, I, if you pay me, Dad, I could be your social media manager and I could put your world together. Because some of your posts, Dad, they're just whack. So anyhow, so, so my mother's all the time on. I'm on Facebook. She's on, she's on, that's what she does. And I just think sometimes, like, she could be the pastor of Facebook, I guess. But, but what are you doing with your life? I mean, how many hours do you spend on social media? Honestly, looking at somebody else's life. And honestly, really looking at the highlight reels, because nobody really puts the bad stuff on there. 
I preached a horrible message. Let me show you that. No, if I preach a great one, I go, man, God really failed. Let me show you. I mean, God really showed up, and the glory of God fell in the room, and let's see what's going on. Why? Because I want all my preacher buddies. I'm good. I'm better than you are. That's why I'm putting it on Facebook. I'm just teasing. But you understand what I'm saying? So the re- you do the same thing, right? So I did this and that. I got a good hair day, and you go vacation or whatever. You go out to eat three times in a day. Huh? Whatever it may be, you just do your thing. And so, but what are, how, what are you favor with your time? Favor with your talent. There's a lot of talented people at Life Church. When I get to know people and get to talk to people and really get to, get to spend time interacting, there are some fascinating people here. I mean, there's some really, and I'm not just saying this because I'm in front of you. I'm telling you, like, there, everything we need to reach the city, God's given us. There's some amazing, brilliant people and amazing, brilliant professionals and some people that have some incredible creative ideas. And God's put awesome things inside of you and all these things. You, what, what are, are you being faithful with that talent? Or are you just using that talent to trade days for dollars? Because God gave you that more than just to make a living. God gave you that talent because he wanted to use it for the kingdom. Amen. Are you faithful with your treasure? You know, some of you, you have the ability to make money, and you have the ability. It's a, it's a gift, and I didn't come up with this. It's, it's Romans chapter 12 talks about the gift of giving, and you cannot give that which you don't have. And so God gives you the ability in business to be able to acquire money and to do that. What are you doing with that? I mean, even as some of you kind of get into retirement and, you, and you're thinking about wills and you're thinking about all this kind of stuff, have you ever thought about leaving an annuity or some type of a, of a fund where it will perpetuate itself, not, not for life church, but for missions, for a missionary or a missions organization? Because you're going to give it to your kids. They, they're going to go through it like, like water. But you give it to something that lives beyond you. You leverage that. See, that's what being faithful is about. Faithfulness is not about, about, about my name being in lights. Faithfulness is not about man's applause. Faithfulness is not about me making everybody happy. Faithfulness, I can't quantify it in a spreadsheet. Faithfulness is about me doing what God's put in my heart to do, about me doing with what he's given me the ability to do, about me juicing everything that I have with what he's given me. I, you know, I, I grew up in a, in a blue-collar working household, and my dad worked in a factory, and, which always didn't make sense to me because they built air conditioners, and the factory itself was unair-conditioned. I just, it was, and they were big units. And one sun, summer I worked. It was only one summer. That's all I needed. One summer I worked there, and, and I'm a pretty ambitious kid. I, I'm the kind of kid I started, I would sell door, greeting cards door-to-door, and I was in, 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 in about the fourth grade, third grade, because I wanted to buy like a football, or I wanted a Boy Scout knife or whatever. So my dad would tell me I had to go figure out. So I figured out I'm going to steal it, and he'll kill me, or I'm going to go sell it. And so I started making money that way. So I've always been that way. And so I'm like, sure, Dad, I'll go work. And they're paying good money an hour. And so we were working these four tens. So four days, 10-hour shifts, building air conditioners. There were 60 units a day that we built. And, uh, and then a lot of times I'd get overtime on Friday. And so I'm 19 years of age. We, we'd be up at 5 o'clock in the morning going to the factory. And about a few weeks into this, I'm just thinking, dear God, there's got to be an easier way to make a living than this. And why in, in the Sam Hill are you up every morning doing this job? And so one morning it just kind of came out on the way in. And uh, I just said, I got a question, Dad. Okay. And I said, why are you doing this? He goes, what do you mean? I said, this job. I mean, this is what you've done for my whole life. I mean, every day you go work at the factory, and then you come home, and you're done at 4 o'clock, and, and you're home at 4.10. And, I mean, this is all that I've known, and, and I'm up here working, and I'm doing this. And, I mean, this is some hard work, and it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's just, it's, I mean, Dad, like, really? Like, do you know the options? What, I mean, what? And I, my dad gave me advice that I've never forgotten. He said, it's easy. He said, son, this is what a man does. 
any man can go to the bar and drink, and any man can go to the streets and brawl. It doesn't, it doesn't take a whole lot of intelligence to do either one of those. And any man can, 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 can have kids. But it takes a man who has responsibility that gets up every morning and puts his hand to the plow and does what he has the ability to do and then goes home and is faithful to his wife, faithful to his kids, and then brings them and leads them to the house of God on Sunday because without the Lord, none of this is possible. That's what faithfulness is, is, son. That's what it means to be a man. That's what it means to do this. I do this because I've got your mother and I've got you two boys and I said I do and I said I would and this is my responsibility and I'll stand before God and give an account. And I thought, yeah, that's awesome. So faithfulness is not about preaching a message or a sermon. Faithfulness is not about getting everybody to, to, to applaud you. Faithfulness is getting up in the morning and working 10 hours in an unair conditioned factory. 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, and 40 years. That's what faithfulness is. And that's just as important to God as God, if he calls you to be a missionary in Tanzania, he calls you to be a church planner in San Diego, he calls you to be a bank financier in New York. It doesn't matter. It's whatever God's put in your hand and in your heart and in your life to do. Are you faithful? Are you faithful? That's all he's asking for. Are you faithful? Faithfulness is not just showing up. Faithfulness is I'm going to give everything that I've got. I'm going to go. I'm going to go. I'm going to go. I'm going to go. The days I don't want to go, I'm going to go. The days I want to quit, I'm going to go. If I fall and I mess up, I'm going to get back up. Why? Because I'm going to be faithful. Because what we're all looking for is one day to stand before God, have him call us by name, and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Not good and successful servant. Not good and, and wealthy servant. Not good and well-known servant. Not good and good-looking servant. Although I hope I get that. Not good for anything else, but well done, good and faithful servant. See, it's not about the fruitfulness of your life. Quit looking at what you drive and where you live and what everybody thinks about you. It's about being faithful with where he's planted you. It's about standing in the gap and doing what he's called you to do and loving your wife and loving your husband and loving your kids. And when you mess up, own it and go on. Because none of us are perfect. It's about being faithful. That's what verse 26 says. Second thing, God is fruitful. When we are faithful, God is fruitful. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts, grows, though he does not know how. Verse 28, by itself the soil produces the grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. See, God is responsible to make fruitful the faithful sowing of seed that you've sown. When you sow the seed, God will be, make that fruitful. If you are faithful, the fruitfulness, the success, the return, that's God's. It's not mine. Whether there's five people at Life Church or there's 5,000, that's God's, not mine. Unless God builds a house, he who labors, labors in vain. Why? Because the fruitfulness is God's, not mine. Your business, quite frankly, is not yours, it's the Lord's. Somebody gave you the mind, the, the mental capacity. Someone helped you. Someone spoke into you. Even when you were dead in your sins, Christ loved you enough that he gave his, his life for you. Your ability to sell, your ability to speak, your ability to walk, your ability to talk, your ability. He gave you everything that you needed to do what you've done. And when you're faithful, he makes that fruitful. There's a couple of observations here. First of all, notice that, that this, this fruitfulness of God is a process. It's not instant. 
This isn't Burger King. It's not my way right away now. So don't get all excited. Night and day, verse 27. It denotes this process. You're going through life. It's a daily routine. Life is happening. Verse 28 talks about this maturing of the seed. It's not instant. At first you see the sprout. Then you begin to see part of the kernel. Then you see the full head. And then it's ready for harvest. There's a process. God works through process. Are there times where God instantaneously does things? Yes. But many times what happens, what you see that's instantaneous has been a lifetime of process. It's been a lifetime of giving. I love in the Old Testament when Noah is on the ark and God has spoken to him about building the ark, getting all the critters on the ark, getting all the in-laws and the outlaws on the ark, and they're on the ark, and so then it begins to rain. And God does not speak again until there's dry ground. So it's over a year period that Noah's on the ark. And the Bible says as Noah would look out upon the water, inch by inch, day by day, the water would recede. Process. 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 Millennials, are you hearing me? Process. This doesn't happen overnight. You don't get the corner office and the six-digit salary overnight. Process. The way to the master's chambers to the servants' quarters. Process. You want to be first, the way the kingdom says you first got to be last. You want to be served, you must first serve. You want to have friends, you must show yourself friendly. If you have no friends, it's because you're not friendly. Harsh? No, it's reality. There's a process, and none of us like the process. We want to pray, and we want God to zap us. I've said this before, and and it's so true. I would love just to hold on to my pants and somebody pray, and me lose 20 pounds in the name of Jesus. Gone. Would that not be awesome? The problem with that is, is I'd be right at the buffet, filling that 20 pounds right back up. (laughs) But when there's a process, I think, when I think to myself, there's a cinnamon roll at Collectivo that I love. Heat it up just a little bit with a little Costa Rican blend coffee. Because it was calling my name this week. I was there. I'm walking through that line, that cinnamon roll, that, that devil that's iced right there just speaking to me. Gets you behind me, Satan. Amen. You ever do that? You ever talk to that? People think I'm crazy. No, I'm just, that's the devil right there. I'm not, that thing is 800 calories. Before I knew that, I was having two in the morning. And my body, my body burns a lot of fuel. I put a lot of BTUs off with a body like this, but I don't burn 1,600 calories for breakfast. I'm not Michael Phelps. I remember going to the doctor one time. I said, doctor, I got a problem. What's your problem, son? I said, man, I work out all the time. I work out. I'm at the gym. I work out. I do all this. And I was. I, was I said, but I'm not losing any weight. I got a metabolism. There must be some thyroid issue or something going on. I need you to fix my thyroid. Give me some medicine, something like that. He starts asking me questions. At the end of it, he says, Aaron, you, based on what you're telling me, are consuming around 6,000 calories a day. <laughs> you could live at the gym and you're going to gain weight. So he put me on a 1,500-calorie-a-day diet, which lasted all about 12 hours. And <laughs> my point to you is it's process. I don't like it, but process. But we go through process because it teaches us. In the same way with fruitfulness in our life, it's a process. Notice that the process, verse 27 says, it's a mystery. He does not know. He doesn't know. Even the wisest farmer on the earth can never fully explain all that takes place in a grain of wheat when it's been sown. He knows the broad facts, 
that unless he puts it in the ground and he covers it up, there will not be an ear of wheat at harvest time. But he cannot command the prosperity of each grain. He cannot explain why some grains come up and other grains die. He cannot specify the hour or the minute when life begins to show itself. He cannot define what that life is. These are matters he must leave alone. He sows the seed and leaves the growth to God. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 2 says, It's God who makes things grow. It's God who makes things grow. There's a certain mystery to this. There's a mystery to the seed. The seed is what produces, not us. We just sow the seed, but the seed is what produces. The seed is what's fruitful. The seed is what's fruitful. It, the seed doesn't need you. The seed doesn't need me. All the seed needs is for us to trust God and plant it. All he needs us to do is be faithful and plant it. Just simply plant the seed and let the seed grow. But there's a certain mystery. I don't understand all of it. And, I, and I'm just going to say this. I, I don't believe we should check our brains at the door. I think God gave us our brains, our cerebral cortex, and all the wiring in our head to learn and to grow. And I think we're made in the image and likeness of God. And so I think you should read. I think you should grow. I think you should push back on things. I think you should test things and see I, all of these things. But at the end of the day, you're finite. You're limited. You have a beginning and an end. God, the God that you're trying to understand is infinite. He has no beginning. He has no ending. You cannot completely, you cannot completely absorb that. There are some things about God we're just not going to understand. Stand this side of eternity. We sing an old song in the church called By and By When the Morning Comes, When the Saints of God are Gathered Home. We will tell the story of how we've overcome, and we will understand it better by and by. But in the here and now, it's going to be the way the Apostle Paul says, I see through a glass darkly. I see moments of momentary light and clarity, and then it's gone. Because there's a mystery to some of this. How is it that God can come into someone's heart and life and take someone who's wretched and bound and free them from drugs and alcohol? I don't know, but only God can do it. How can somebody take a marriage that is just completely wrecked and jacked up and restored and bring it back together? I don't know, but he could do it. How can God take a prodigal son and daughter who are far away and their hearts are broken and bleeding and they walk through the doors of a church and they hear the gospel message and the seed that's been sown and watered year after year after year after year of faithful parents, that child comes back to God. I don't know, but that's how God works. And I'm just going to tell you, I'm okay with that. Because I don't want a God that I completely understand. I don't want a God that I can completely compartmentalize in some equation or some mathematical algorithm. I want a God who's greater than me. I want a God who I don't understand all this. But the more that I seek him, the more I learn. And the more that I get closer to him, the more he reveals to me. And the more that I get in, into the depths of his word, the more the revelation begins to flow. Until one day I see him face to face and I hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant, enter in. And then my questions are answered. But this out of eternity, there's a certain amount of a mystery. We don't completely understand. And there's a divine automation with the process. Verse 28 says, and the growth, the growth occurs, quote, unquote, of itself. Of itself in the original language in the Greek is where we get the word automate or automated. The laws of nature are the laws of God. But the metaphor here in this, in this parable insists that the kingdom depends on God's power bringing it to pass not upon human effort or human agency. That seed works. You have to trust the seed. You have to trust the word of God that's in your hand. That's why living and being in God's word is so important. You want to have a harvest of righteousness? Sow that seed that's in that book. Get in that book. Read it. Study it. Devour it. Take it in. Because the secret of growth is in the seed. It's not in the soil. It's not in the weather, it's not in the cultivation, but the seed works according to its own nature. 
It's the power of the seed. So I am to be faithful. God will be fruitful. And verse 29 tells us that the harvest will come. The harvest will come. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. The end of this parable, there's an assurance. Maybe it's even the primary focus of the, of the, of the parable. That if we're faithful to sow the seed, the seed will produce of itself and the harvest will come. It's the assurance of the harvest. It's an encouragement to keep sowing God's word, to keep living God's word, to keep walking the way of the kingdom, the way of heaven. That God works even when our work is done. We're going on with our life, but we've sowed the seed. See, you don't reap what you've sown today. You reap today what you sowed yesterday. And you will not reap what you've sown today. You will reap, you will, you will reap what you've sown today, tomorrow. What are you sowing today? That's what you're going to reap tomorrow. What did you sow yesterday? Because that's what you're reaping today. Genesis is very clear about this. As long as the earth shall endure, there'll be seed, time, and harvest. Seed, time, and harvest. It's the way of the kingdom. But the harvest is going to come. God will be fruitful where you have been faithful. God will be fruitful where you've been faithful. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 and 9 says, Do not be deceived, for God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Verse 9. So let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up, if we just be faithful. Luke chapter 16, 10 says, He who is faithful in that which is least is also faithful in that which is much. That's how God works. He gives you a little and sees what you can do with it. I hear people saying all the time, well, you know, if I had more, you know, it's kind of what I call the case of the if I had. So if I had a million dollars, I would, and if I had this, I would. No, you wouldn't. I've taught both of my daughters, if you won't tithe, bring 10% according to God's word on 10 bucks, you'll never tithe on 100, you'll never tithe on 1,000, you'll never tithe on 10,000, and you'll never tithe on 100,000. Because a tithe on 100,000 is $10,000. That's a lot of money. But it all begins with a principle. Are you going to be faithful and little? And then God will make you ruler over much. But if you're not faithful in little things, God will never bless you and make you ruler over much. Promotion doesn't come from the east and the west. The Bible says it comes from heaven above. So it's not about your boss. It's not about your company. It's not about the politics that are going on. God sets the people that he wants where he wants them. Now, unless you don't want to believe the Bible, you want to cut that out with a pair of scissors? But I, last time I read it, I don't get editorial privilege over it. Again, that's the power of the seed. Here's what I do know is if I'm in right relationship with him, Matthew 6, 33, all these other relationships will take care of themselves. But if this ain't right, this will never be right. If this isn't where it needs to be, this will never be that way. Don't worry about divorce. You focus on the Lord, your spouse, spouse, your spouse focused on Jesus, fill him with the cup of your life, things will take care of themselves. But you can spend your entire life trying to take care of everything else in your family, and in your home, and in your marriage, and you neglect this relationship, this is off. Just telling you. It's the way it works. Oh, but I know someone, yeah. I mean, I, I met Tiger Woods one time, too, and Michael Jordan. They're pretty incredible, but they're not the average run-of-the-mill golfer or basketball player or athlete. And quite frankly, they don't live in the same strata financially that anybody else that I know does either. So you're going to live your life on an anomaly? Or are you going to build it on what the Bible says is the norm and the way? that's worked thousands of years on this planet. The harvest will come. The harvest will come. 
And so I just think as I'm preparing this message that there are people that you're just discouraged because you're doing the right things. And you're not perfect. And I want you to understand, God doesn't ever expect you to be perfect. But you're not perfect, and you're just going, man, I'm not seeing the harvest that I want to see come. And so you don't have to try to help, the, help it grow. You just have to trust. Faith is the currency of heaven, right? Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. It's the evidence of things not seen. Being faithful denotes that I have to trust. I have to be, exhibit my faith. I have to put it in something. I'm putting my faith in the seed, which is God's word, that it will produce in my life. That's why you're here today. Not because of me or because of a building or a group of people, but because you put your faith not in a man. That's scary. That's crazy. Not in a group of people. No. But in a person, and his name is Jesus. And we know that Jesus is the word made flesh. You put your faith in God's word. And you lean so heavily on God's word that if it were to move, you would fall. But there's a process. Fifteen years ago, Tammy and I were preparing to move to Wisconsin from Tulsa. And coming here, I remember this whole thing about just trusting the Lord, that God would make fruitful the things if I would be faithful. See, I don't get to choose all the things in my life. I just get to, I, when I gave my life to Christ, I lost my rights. Not as a pastor, as a Christ follower. I'll go where you want me to go, Lord. Palms up. So he speaks to our hearts about coming to Germantown. Never been to Germantown before. Only Germantown I knew was in Tennessee, outside of Memphis. I, I didn't know about Germantown, Wisconsin. One time I've been to Wisconsin, was I was at a youth conference in Rockford, Illinois, and I went to Beloit, and there was the Welcome to Wisconsin sign right there, and I took my picture, and it was April, and it was snowing, and I thought, my God, who lives here? <laughs> it's April. It's snowing. Really? Little did I know that I would be the one that would live there. Got here, and there's storefront, 2,000 square feet. There's no platform. There's no Nando. There's no worship band like we have today. Great people, but just different. There's no platform. There's 100 folding chairs. Biggest bar in town was where our offices are. I'd come in on Saturday night, and I'd begin to pray and just kind of prepare for Sunday. And I'd hear, like, the people and see all the people coming in and all the buzz and everything that was happening right there. I'd go into that little room, and I'd go back to the, to the, to the sound table that was donated by the church that we were planted by, and there's a folding table that it's sitting on, and there's 100 folding chairs, and I'd turn on the music, and, and the speakers were on tripods, and it was just a very humble setup. And I began to pray, oh, God. And if I'm really honest with you, the thoughts would come through my mind like, why did I leave Oklahoma? Why am I here? God, there's 100 people. Lord, I don't understand. God, I, and, but there would be this overwhelming sense of peace, this overwhelming sense of confirmation that I was just to be faithful and that he would be fruitful. 
But God, you put these big things in my heart. And when I was in Bible college, there were these big things that I want to do. And I just don't see that happening here. And I don't know anyone here. And, 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 and I, I talk different than everybody else talks. And, and, and I'm a hit from the stick compared to these people. And Lord, why, why am I here? And what's going on? There would just be this still, small voice of the Holy Spirit just going, just be still and know that I'm God. Just be faithful to do what I've called you to do. The things that I put in your heart, just do this here. And I would meet with other pastors, and they'd tell me I'm crazy. I, they would tell me that I, I'm nuts. I had one guy tell me, you should go back to Oklahoma because the way you want to do church, which is how we do it now, will never work. It'll never work. I lost my appetite, and I'll never lose my appetite. That's not get really fighting mad. I put my fork down. I just said, man, maybe that's the case. Maybe they'll run me out of town in 90 days, six months. My plan is if they run me out of town, I'm going to Boca Raton, Florida. Why? Because it's hot and there's sun and sand. That's the only reason why I'm going to Boca Raton. But here's what I know. This is where God called me. This is what he asked of me. So I'm going to be faithful. So I got up in front of those 100 people, and I preached my guts out every week. And just preached and preached. Why? Because that's it. Because if you're not faithful with five people, you'll never be faithful with 5,000. If you don't come up and you don't bring your very best and your A game, if you're not hot on the mound and you're not prayed up and stored up and preached up, ready to deliver God's word hot and fresh to those people, God will never bless you. It'll never work. I learned that that day riding riding into work with my dad. That's what a man does. God's called me. I've said, here, let's go. Let's go. I remember it wasn't very long in. I had a guy, good, good guy, good family in the church. I mean, this was this was in 90 days of being there. He comes in, wants to meet with me, comes in, and we sit down just for a second, and he says, we're leaving the church. And I said, okay, can I ask why? Have I offended you or something? And he goes, well, he said, to be really honest, we don't think you're preaching your own material. Come again. <laughs> we think you're just downloading your messages off the Internet and just pulling, pulling that stuff out, and, and you're just preaching somebody else's stuff. Well, I knew it was my stuff. I smiled real big, and he looked at me like, what? And I got up from around the desk, and I walked over, and I shook his hand. I said, thank you. That's the kindest thing anybody said to me in three months. And he looked at me. I said, because I know this is my stuff, and you think it's good enough to be like big-time showtime on the Internet stuff. This is great. Thank you. God bless you. Can I buy you a cup of coffee, take you to lunch? He said, we're leaving. I said, okay, you're welcome to come back anytime. I, he, he probably thinks I'm crazy to this day. That's okay, because I knew I got to be faithful. And as I'd go in on Saturday night, that parking lot would be full, and I would pray, oh, God, I pray one day that you would allow this church to be fruitful to the level that the number of, parking, of cars that are on the parking lot at the bar on Saturday night would be the number of cars at church on Sunday morning. I'd get up the very next morning. I'd come back into the church early. I'd pick up beer bottles on the parking lot of people that left that. There'd be a dozen cars of people that went home with somebody else that they didn't come with. They'd be gone by the time church was over. But, but that morning, they'd be there. And I'd pray that prayer. Just be faithful. Just be faithful. Just be faithful, and God will make it fruitful. Fifteen years has passed. I think it takes you 20 years to become an overnight success in Milwaukee. I do. But what I'm trying to get you to understand is this. Whether the church grew or shrank was not my responsibility. That's God's. The success of the church is not about me. It's about him. All I did was sow the seed. All I did was plant the seed. Anybody can sow the seed. Anybody can plant the seed. It's the seed that produces. The same is true in your life. Anybody can do what you're doing, but God's chosen you to do it. Are you willing to do it? God's asked you to, to, to step into the people's world that you live with and be able to sow the seed of God's word. Will you do it? God's asked you to plant that seed. Will you do it? Will you be faithful? 
Will you be faithful? Because some of you, you just go, what's the big deal? I just put up the parking lot signs on Sunday. Are you faithful to do that? Some of you go, well, I just cleaned the toilets on Thursday night. Are you faithful to do that? Some of you say, man, I'm just, I kind of volunteer at the office in the back and kind of administration. Are you faithful to do that? Some of you, you, you sit on this platform and you lead worship. Are you faithful to do that? Some of you serve in youth ministry and kids ministry and early childhood, and that's huge. Are you faithful to do that? God's not looking you to be successful or to have your name in lights or for people to stand and to applaud you. God's looking for you just to be faithful, and he will allow it to be fruitful if you will be faithful because that's what his word says. So as you go to your job this week, just be faithful. Understand God didn't call you to a pulpit ministry. He called you to the factory. Be faithful. He didn't call you to, to do something to go be a missionary around the world. He called you to be faithful. And when he asks something of you, just be faithful. When the Holy Spirit nudges you to give, be faithful. When he nudges you to go, be faithful. When he nudges you to speak up, be faithful. When he nudges you to plant the seed, just be faithful. And he will make it fruitful. And the harvest will come. The harvest will come. There'll be a day, those people that you are praying for that will come to faith in Christ will walk through the doors of this church and they'll be saved. Be faithful and he'll make it fruitful. There's some of you moms and dads, you got prodigal sons and daughters and your heart aches. Oh my God, your heart aches. And you cry and you ask God, but you just be faithful and he will be fruitful. Because what, oh, I'm about to preach now. Because what the enemies try to use to destroy you, God will use for your good. That no weapon formed against you shall prosper. God has made you more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus, that you will overcome by the blood that Jesus Christ shed and by the word of your testimony. That's what the seed says. It will happen. God will produce the harvest. He will make you fruitful, and us as a congregation fruitful, if we will just be faithful.